0: Like a South American also continued the proud tradition of English referees not giving shit to soccer.
1: <laughs> right. It's like how would you know about that rule? Yeah. Like, it it not, transcends
0: transcends yeah. national nationalities and, and yeah, borders. Borders. That's that is crazy. Referees without borders. Haters without borders. Haters without
1: borders. <laughs>
0: Hey everyone, welcome to Hardcore Football. I'm your host Phil Baki. I'm uh, joined, as always, by my co-host Mika Burrell. Mika, uh, we're back in the in a little bit of a rhythm here now. We're we're recording, I guess, less than a week since our last episode.
1: Yeah, yeah. I guess we are in a bit of a rhythm after like some like what month or two breaks between episodes. <laughs> uh, I mean. You know, when it's the FIFA World Cup, you gotta you gotta do it. Um and what a World Cup it's been. What an exciting, interesting tournament it's been. Um just football wise, obviously. So yeah, no, we're yeah. back and enjoying it. And it seems like people haven't like forgotten about us. I'm always I'm always so flattered when like I put the questions tweet out and even one person like sends one, I'm like, that's amazing. So <laughs> and we got a few tonight. So. Yeah,
0: we got a handful. Um yeah, it, it should be uh it should be a good one. It is uh obviously there's a lot to talk about on that front. Before we before we do some some admin Mika, though, we do have to start out on a bit of a somber note. Um, as as many in the football world, um and especially those affiliated with US soccer in any way, know um Grant Wall, who, you know, very well known, probably the most well known American soccer journalist, um, passed away at the age of 49 in the world covering while covering the world cup in Qatar. Um, obviously there's been a lot said in the, in the aftermath of that, but I think Mika, what I've been most, uh, taken you know, or most taken by and most, and, and most seen is just the amount and just volume and, and, uh, just emotional intensity of the tributes to grant and his character and the amount of work that he did lifting people up, um, and, and, you know, really, uh, uh, amplifying the work of others as well. Like while, while obviously being the go-to guy in, in soccer journalism for the better part of, you know, 20 years
1: yeah absolutely i mean our our hearts go out to grant's family obviously and all all the you know multitude of friends and colleagues that he had as as you said is is clear from all the tributes that we've seen on on social media and the like it's it was really shocking news really like hit me right in the in the diaphragm (laughs) like i just couldn't even believe it um and um you know he, I don't think it's dramatic to say that he single-handedly helped grow the game into something huge in this country. I mean, he was one of the only ones covering it for many, many years, uh, you know, at a big, at a big uh, publication like Sports Illustrated for a while. And, uh, and, you know, before his untimely passing, he was doing a lot of his own blogging and doing like a daily blog at the World Cup, which... Um, yeah, he wrote about a lot of really like uncomfortable topics, you know, that needed to be addressed and um you know, he was just always brave like that in his work. Um and like you said, it seems from the tributes that he was always um you know, even though he was the guy, he was always lifting other people up and uh, and other people's work and um yeah, I think he's been huge for for the growth of the game in this country and it's just such a such a loss, really.
0: It is. I, it yeah, it's an absolutely massive loss and I and truly just to echo what you said, Mika, the our our hearts go out to to his family. Um and and it was one of those moments where um I had I I was driving to Chicago to, we were seeing my sisters and the news broke while we were on the road. Um so I got to my sister's apartment and my sister was like, Did you see like the news about Grant, I was like what like absolutely Mm. did not compute like at first it was just like what how like why you know all those things and not not someone that I knew personally but just by the pervasiveness of his work and like how responsive and everything he was you know you feel like you do get to know someone yeah and um and in just in the, the, through the different people that we've, you know, been, been privileged enough to like meet and talk to, you know, it's like, he's not a guy that I knew personally, but he is a guy that a lot of people that I know personally knew personally. And that's, that's where it's like, it, it really is, um, just a devastating loss for yeah. Anyone who has written or read about soccer in the last, in the last two decades, like this is, yeah, just a massive loss and, um yeah our sympathies go to anyone who uh who knew grant that well and um but it has he has like left quite a mark on soccer journalism in in this country and and certainly there are there are plenty who will carry his standard forward and and continue to advance it but um yeah he'll always be part of the the history of the game in this country so um yeah that's i guess as much as we can say, um, in our totally yeah. inadequate way to, to honor Grant. Um, well, with all that being said, um, we are hardcore football. Um, and if you're finding us for the first time, um, we're, uh, on every major podcast platform, we typically talk, you know, top five European leagues, um, and then just general kind of football stories from around the world. Um, it's from the, the, perspective of two Americans. Um, and sometimes we weave in our love of alternative music as well. Hence the hardcore <laughs> football. Um, and, uh, yeah, so you can find us on any major podcast platform and, uh, you can find us at, uh, HXC football on Twitter and Instagram. Um, so check us out. And that is where we got all of our like listener questions for tonight, which we will cover later on in the show. Um, but Mika, by manner of starting the show for real, there's really only one place to start, and that is what you have dubbed hashtag Geogate.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very, uh, original, I know. Um, I probably saw it on Twitter somewhere and just stuck it on the outline. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, Phil, do you want to give like a rundown of the story for folks that are like you know, understandably, rolled their eyes at the whole thing on Twitter, but kind of want to know what happened.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll try to keep it brief. Um, so Giovanni Reina, you know, it, it was, he's one of the brightest young talents for the United States men's national team. And it was noticeable throughout the World Cup that his minutes were limited, um, only doesn't come on in a, in a draw against Wales, um, appears for seven minutes against England. Um, and there were understandably many questions around why and sort of the reasoning behind it. Uh, there were some things offered by Greg Berhalter in interviews during the World Cup, um, of prior to the U.S.'s elimination at the hands of the Netherlands, but um, there was no real concrete uh explanation, just a couple of things of uh, we're monitoring injuries, we're you know, managing his minutes basically, and um. Broke on well, I guess yesterday, mm, yeah. Sunday, it feels like the story's been broken for <laughs> multiple days by now, but um, it broke on Sunday from, from Paul Tenorio and Sam Staskill of, of the Athletic. They uh, basically, multiple sources close to the U.S. men's national team confirmed to the Athletic that uh, Gio Reyna was not involved in in the World Cup to the extent that many expected due to a poor attitude in the camp and lack of effort, um, perceived lack of effort from uh, the other players and staff at the U.S. Men's National Team camp. And uh, this included like a, a scrimmage against a local Qatari club, al Um And it now has been further... basically. The story is so strange. Greg Berhalter spoke about this at a conference, like a leadership summit, um, shortly after his return to the states, and now it has spread to you know. Obviously, there are a lot of people and some anonymous sources like throwing their hat in the ring of what went on in the U.S.'s camp um, surrounding Gio Reyna, and um, essentially, it it seems like Reyna eventually apologized. To the team for his attitude at the beginning of the camp, um, which has now been sort of explained by Greg Berhalter. I guess had a meeting with Gio prior to the World Cup and told him that his he was going to be um, he was going to play a minor role in the World Cup. Basically, I guess trying to sell him on the idea that his minutes would be fairly limited. And Gio, um, in an Instagram post today, responding to all of this, uh, basically addressed the fact that he was disappointed to get that piece of information shared with him, reacted emotionally, apologized for his reaction, and then thought it was water under the bridge. Now it's all been brought back out by these comments made at this conference by Greg Burhalter trying to explain the situation anonymously, but everyone immediately knew who he was talking about. Um, and uh, there's been a bunch, I, I guess like, I'm a little all over the place, but it's partially because there's been so many conflicting and like uh, false, like, like basically verified false reports. There's been uh, stuff said about a player vote that didn't actually happen and now it's a staff vote about sending him home potentially from the World Cup. So there's all of these things floating out here. And I guess at the, at the heart of it, Mika, is the manager of the U.S. men's national team had a conversation with a player. The player reacted to that conversation. There was an in-camp reaction to how he dealt with that news. It seemed like it was water under the bridge to the player. And now due to the manager speaking about it publicly it's back out there and the player's character's been called into question and that is why geogate has become what it's become despite from the personal perspective of everyone involved it being essentially over by the time it was reported yeah
1: yeah um i mean to be fair to you, I don't. I think it's hard not to be all over the the place with this story because this story is all over the place. But I think we can drill it down to, for me, two things, um, and 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 I think this would inform where someone uh, lies and w- 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 like what side they're on, if you will. Um, whether that's you know Giovanni Reno or, or the the men's national team manager, Greg Berhalter, I think the two things about this are one, Giovanni Reno was disciplined for his poor attitude uh for not showing enough in training for a fifa world cup right um i think that that is fair enough i have no problem with a managers disciplining a player when he's not meeting standards and expectations when he's not meeting the expectations of his teammates if he's dragging the place down you know um that's that's one thing and i think we can put that in a box right cuz i i think most reasonable people would agree that that's fine to do and in fact yeah. accountability is a good thing right Geo should be accountable yes he's only 20 years old and when I was 20 I was an absolute idiot you know like we can we can make those kind of um, concessions for him and give him a little bit of grace but you know you are a professional footballer and and this is what's expected of you and for someone to tell him that it's not good enough I and for that to have consequences I don't really have a problem with that Sure. What the problem is for me is that Greg Berhalter appears to have tried to get ahead of this story when it became clear to him or whoever around him that the Athletic were going to break it. Uh, and, And as a result, the player has essentially been thrown under the bus, one of our most talented players, maybe our most talented player that the United States has ever produced. So, yeah, I just don't understand why Berhalter would tell such a timely personal story about an issue with a player at a leadership conference to like middle management, corporate America type folks. Like yeah he, if we're going to assume the best, he's naive at best mm-hmm. at worst. This is calculated because you know, it's been reported that he thought it'd be off the record. Why would it be off the record? You're not talking to journalists, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? that. <laughs> Any one of those guys
0: could have gone on Twitter immediately and been like, Burhalter just said some wild stuff, like in this conference (laughs) I'm at.
1: Yeah. And so, (laughs) yeah. So for me, it's like, I I don't believe that for a second that this wasn't told on purpose, you know, and and with the idea of trying to get ahead of the story. Now, I, I did see some, I think it was actually to you. I think our good friend, Duke Keith, um, Mm -hmm. was talking about, well, you know, maybe the idea was for Greg to highlight that the player had come through this issue, right? And it's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, but that doesn't work for me. I still think that the manager should not ever bring this to light. Yeah. You know? And, the, and, you know, the other thing is people will say, well, everyone's been demanding an answer as to why G Arena hasn't been played. I'm one of those people. Right. But I'm a fan. I don't expect Greg Berhalter to kowtow to the fans. Right. Protect the player. Yeah. Right. Like if if it were me, which it never would be, and it's easy for me to say from my my office chair. I would think I'd just protect the player and say it's a tactical decision, and then people can cook me for that.
0: Right. <laughs> right?
1: But I know what the truth is. So does the player. So does my squad. Sure. And we leave it at that. Right? But to say, you know, like before Wales, oh, you know, we, we saw he was a little bit of tight tightness in training, you know, alluding to an injury for a player that is already gaining a reputation of injury proneness. Yeah. Why? Right. Why? <laughs>
0: And um. and all of these things that are being said, especially surrounding a World Cup, surrounding the performance of a young player, they carry so much weight. Like we talk about how players performances at a World Cup are magnified by the stage that they're on mm. and everything that's done. You know, the margins are so fine in game already of whether a player might be pursued for, you know, a larger move or seen as viable, like at a larger uh, on a larger stage, all that sort of stuff. These sorts of comments, these sorts of stories can be so damaging to young players. If now a tag that's never been associated with Gio Reyna in terms of his, him coming up with Borussia Dortmund. I mean, we were talking, you even, you know, initially tweeted like, can any Dortmund fans speak to, like, has this ever been reported? Cause it just, mm-hmm all of a sudden there was this narrative of oh geo's just been a problem and it was and it was just out of thin air seemingly and i think that's where this becomes dangerous from burr in terms of the that trust with his players is he's not their everyday boss he only sees mm-hmm. them every once in a while but the stage and the and the platform that he's on gives him that much more ability to damage their reputation. Like, if this sort of thing sticks, and unfortunately, battle lines have essentially been drawn where people who are, you know, Greg Berhalter fans are now firmly in the camp of Gio is just a problem child who, like, he's (laughs) been a problem and he just always has been. You know, this is just how he's always been. Versus you know others who are saying now like geo's in the right berhalter like had no right to do this basically and um and so i think berhalter for that reason is at least very irresponsible in saying like disclosing this story especially given the fact that in Geo's subsequent statement, he talks specifically about the fact that Berhalter always stresses the fact that everything stays in the camp and everybody, like whatever problems we have, we work through it as a team. Um, right. So and now that's disingenuous. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Again, that's the problem for me. The problem is not the disciplining of the player. If he deserved it, he deserved it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. That's fine. It is the. Trying to get, apparently, anyway, trying to get ahead of this story and trying to to shift that narrative and, you know, I just, that that doesn't work for me. It really doesn't. And if the story had come out anyway and Greg had been approached about it and said, we don't comment about things like that that happened in the camp, fine. Mm-hmm. No, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I'd be happy with that, but I would understand that. Sure. That is the the professional way, I think, to go about a situation like this and... I mean, you know, and it calls into question some of the other play- players that have had issues with Greg Berhalter in the past. I mean, Matt Miazga, John Brooks, Weston McKenney even for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't remember it ever being this public before. It's it's right. like why, why now, and why with possibly our most talented player ever? Not that other players don't, you know, that not that other players deserve to be treated less, sure, or anything, but it just feels very peculiar because of that it's like this this could be the guy you know yeah um and yeah it's just really a weird one for me i would never <laughs> i would never speak about like my my charge my employee essentially like in a completely unrelated conference completely out of context to people who really it's not their business yeah uh, it just that that's a weird decision for me it really is
0: And surely in a longer career, you have a different story. Like, you have a story that's not from the current news. Like, like surely you have something that is... That's the
1: thing, is why are you telling something so topical? Like, can't we go back to, like, you've been a coach for a while now. You have to use, like, literally this year's World Cup. The tournament's not even over. Yeah. Like yeah so that's why to me it's like there's no way that you're just like oh just tell this story it'll be fine no one will say anything give me a break yeah I don't believe that for a second
0: it's a uh it is a really it's really strange and I think there's also a strange thing coming out now where there uh I've seen a couple of people equate and and to I want to make it really clear that I see this as like a false equivalency (laughs) um but people pointing to Marcus Rashford's impact off the bench for England and Gio Reyna's lack of impact off the bench for the United States and said, um, well, Marcus Rashford probably wouldn't have liked the fact that he's been, you know, coming off the bench for this England side, but he is coming off and, like, making an impact and, like, putting his head down and just, like, playing well. Um and there's basically like two giant problems I have with that. The first is Marcus Rashford is 25 years old, which if you think it may not sound like much, but the difference between 20 and 25 in terms of emotional maturity is like astronomical. Um, the, Absolutely. the second part of it is Rashford hasn't played particularly well for Manchester United in like two years. So the idea that he would start over the likes of Bukayo Saka or, you know, um, Phil Foden even like the attackers that England are playing are typically maybe Raheem Sterling accepted, like are in form for their club teams now. Mm -hmm. And Rashford really hasn't been um, like for a little while. Like he's, I, I think he's, been performing better for United in recent in recent games, but obviously not an extended, you know, term of success. So the idea that Marcus Rashford would be starting over like who's he gonna start over, um, in this England side. So meanwhile, Gio Reyna, like the idea of, oh well he should just come off the bench and make a difference, it's like the first extended amount of minutes he got was two nil down to the Netherlands in around a 16 game and it was basically like hey go make an impact um
1: and he was played at number nine playing like, yeah
0: <laughs> playing before not being his...
1: shifted over for Haji Wright yeah it's like
0: <laughs> so yeah the whole the whole thing's a little bit weird and reductionist and like a little bit of just strange kind of false equivalencies of hey, this player made an impact off the bench, so Reyna should have just done that. And that's just such a weird way to try to like stick it to a, a, a 20-year-old who is disappointed to not be starting for a team that he was seen as integral to during qualifying and um, ends up only playing 50 minutes at a World Cup, including seven against the country of his birth in the group stage like there's a lot of layers here for for Gio Reyna to be disappointed about um and the idea that we would kind of add insult to injury as you know as a fan base of oh well when he came on he wasn't even that good it's like there was a lot (laughs) there's a lot going on for Gio and some of it was tactical and some of it was was the emotional side
1: yeah yeah I mean and then there's the other part about it is, does a manager say this if he expects to remain in the position, right? Um, and, you know, yeah. we've got questions on that, which we can address later, but it's just like, it does kind of smack of like going out with a bang type thing, which is really <laughs> bizarre. Um, I, I don't know. We're, I'm I'm definitely speculating at that point, but it's just, the bottom line is like, for me, Giovanni Reina is infinitely more important to the future of the U.S. men's national team than Greg Berhalter. Yeah. And I don't think that that's a hot take. I don't think that that's controversial. I hope not. Right. Um. But, and again, again, I have to repeat this because I feel like people are getting these things confused. He deserved to be disciplined based on yes. what we know. Yes. He did not deserve to have it aired like this after he thought it was quashed. Yeah. So there's the there's the difference there and uh yeah i usually don't get caught up in like u.s men's national team drama but this just really rubbed me wrong for some reason and uh yeah um well we've got four four more years to stew on all these things i guess
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah we'll talk about i guess what comes next for the for the u.s um because we did get questions around the manager job and what that'll look like there's a lot of reports swirling around Ber halter at the moment um and i think it it may be a little bit before we actually know anything about his future um as for giovanni reyna he is actually back to dortmund already and back amongst the goals uh scoring for dortmund in a friendly um Granted, against Romanian opposition in Rapid Bucharest, but um, still, back on the score sheet mm. in a, in a uh, a friendly competition, and I hope, um, you know this this serves as a, maybe a bit of a lesson for him, and and maybe he goes back to to Dortmund and plays a little, plays a little angry too, a little chip on his shoulder and if he can stay healthy you know i think he can be really important to to this dortmund side in the second half but um the bundesliga do have quite the break they're not they're not back for a while cuz they they are baking a extended kind of winter pausa uh into the into the um world cup break so i think they're back in january so still a ways to go
1: yeah if he i mean if he can channel his his uh countrymen, the Argentinians, and play angry for the rest of the season. That could be <laughs> a sight to behold. But I just, for above all, I would like Gio to just be healthy. I yeah. think that's been a real struggle. Um, and, you know, there are men, young men at his age that are still going through like growing pains, literally. For sure. Um, So hopefully, hopefully he's able to uh, grow out of those issues and become the player that we think he can be. So, yeah,
0: uh to to put a bow on the Burhalter halter side i do we as we said i think irresponsible and and a little bit i mean i i hesitate short of malicious uh in terms of like the story and and maybe there was some hey this is a story of me like holding someone on my team accountable like thinking from a leadership <laughs> perspective i held someone accountable and it had like a like a better outcome and we didn't have to like fire that person basically you know um but i think the um obviously the timing of all of that and there's been some things said in terms of well this is kind of like people saying that greg isn't really like this or whatever or doesn't have these sorts of incidents often and it's like he kind of does. Like you you brought up the list of players that he's that he's beefed with, not as publicly, but that have become, you know, distant from the US mm-hmm. men's setup because Berhalter is the manager. Um, and there are a lot of people he's frozen out, and I think notably at this World Cup, two players who probably should have been there and weren't, Jordan Pack and Ricardo Pepe, like that is a direct connection to the manager either not being able to get like their to you know their level of effectiveness for the national team to the same level as their club, or in P Fox case, like him just being I don't know, seemingly like unhappy <laughs> in like the US setup. Mm-hmm. Um versus obviously for Union, he's he's been he's been flying so far. So um yeah. So, challenging yeah.
1: for the Bundesliga title my goodness <laughs>
0: <laughs> um so yeah tons still to come I'm sure from this story and I'm hoping that it's mostly kind of done now that Geo's made his statement and I mean it kind of seems like the dust is settling a little bit but I think we won't truly know I guess the outcome here until Greg's future is is announced one way or the other
1: yeah absolutely
0: Well, we've got uh, a bunch more to talk about. Um, Mika, I think we'll take a quick break and then uh, we'll come back. We've got, obviously, the semifinals of the World Cup to talk about. um, And uh, then we'll get on to the listener questions, um, of which there are a handful and some really interesting conversations to be had there, so stay tuned. Welcome back to hardcore football Mika World Cup semifinals coming up tomorrow is the first Argentina Croatia Um, Croatia obviously sort of becoming a a story of this tournament but the real story is the fact that they're in a second straight semifinal Um, little bit of a different prospect than 2018 when they took on England um taking on this argentina side but uh we we talked i mean i guess i guess maybe we start uh on on the croatia side with them being the underdogs coming through against brazil i guess trying to take down two of the favorites uh in route to a, a potential final a big task but the croatians saw off the brazilians a, Essentially, through just pure resilience, I guess maybe is the term. Like, just somehow surviving until the the sucker punch they landed in the hundred seventeenth minute.
1: Right. Not not resilience, but resilience. <laughs> yeah. Um. I'm <laughs> so bad. Yeah. I mean, with Croatia, obviously defense is key for them um they definitely try to play with that mid to low block um and and in saying that i think a star has kind of been born or at least come to the fore in in Josko Gvardiol mm-hmm. um the left-footed defender who's partnering a and admittedly quite old Dan Lovren um and then in in goal Ivakovic has been absolutely brilliant um yeah. saving penalties Making lots of stops when called upon. Um, and then you have Luka Modric in the midfield, who is a Ballon d'Or winner and just still making things tick in that midfield. Um, and, and then Ivan Perisic, who continues to like defy expectations and be a real contributor when needed. Um, the header against Japan still hurts, but what a goal. Um yeah. and yeah, I think I think Croatia are definitely more than the sum of their parts and the parts are good. They're just aging, right? Um, but yeah, Zlako Dalic has really done a great job to get this Croatia side back into another semifinal and potentially a final. Now Argentina like that, that's definitely gonna be a tough matchup because I think this Argentina side is really fired up. Um, and, uh, I I don't know if that, that spells doom for Croatia or not. I mean, you, you'd think the smart money, I think is like, this can't continue where they keep forcing teams to extra time and then winning on penalties. But I mean, I really can see any one of these four teams that are in the semifinal winning the world cup, honestly. Yeah. Um, with just what they've shown at this tournament. Um, not based on just names or on paper, but just what they've shown. Ah, uh, these four sides. So, yeah, I mean, Croatia have played a lot more minutes, and the tiredness could finally catch up to them. Um, like I said, being that they force extra time as much as they do, but um, they've got some good players, and they could frustrate an Argentina who who will have to rotate a lot because of the disciplinary issues um, that they had against the Netherlands and, and previously. So um, they have like
0: three right backs serving suspensions. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, it's a good point. Um, and, and I think, yeah, in the, you know, just as the overarching, uh, theme of this is like, we have a couple of teams that we definitely didn't expect to see in the semifinal, a couple of teams that we definitely did. Um, but given the way that each of them have played, any of them could win. Um, and Croatia, Croatia for me. And I know Croatia's gained a bit of uh due to being the underdog, I know that they've gained a little bit of a... a of, of steam. A, a lot of people were excited to see them take down Brazil. Um I personally have enjoyed Croatia's football in this tournament the least of the remaining teams. Okay. Um and I'll get on. As we get on to the other semifinal, I'll talk about maybe why it's different. But Croatia is very much like a defend, not just a defensive team, but a defending team. Like that's the most of what they are doing when they are active in play is defending. And they have a wonderful, wonderful midfield that allows them to transition into something like resembling attack but it's not really a counter they're not really even in a counter-attacking team they're just a like defending team that sometimes tries to go to the other end and score um as opposed to Morocco who I guess we'll, we'll get onto in a little bit but um but yeah so Croatia I've enjoyed their football the least but at the heart of it, like you said, quality players. And I have been surprised, I guess. And shame on me for being surprised at this point. But Luka Modric, at his age, you just assume that he's going to lose some part of his game at some point, And he just never does. Like, <laughs> he's obviously, like, immaculate touch. His range of passing is unbelievable. Every Like, his vision on the field is is you know, second to none, but his pace also (laughs) catches people out. Like he is quick. Like he's not going to out run anybody, you know, in a long foot race or something like that, but he can go around people and he can, he's quick from those, like over those short distances, like couple of yards, he can get steps on people. And so, um, he has been still wonderful to watch in the, in the world cup, but, um, it it is gonna be a fascinating battle because like you said, Argentina's Croatia's been running on determination and just this resilience of of not allowing not allowing goals. I mean, Brazil absolutely peppered them um in the quarterfinal. Should have I mean, I'm sure they'll watch that tape back and just ask how. Like, how did we not Score more. Um and right. uh I mean the stats at the end of the game, they have eleven shots on target. Like lavakovic makes ten saves, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Yep. Um and Croatia's one shot on target win in. It was just yep. enough. So they can do it to anybody. They have done it for the last two World Cups. Um, And, uh, and, yeah, anything is possible. But I guess the – I mean, the elephant in the room that we need to talk about is Lionel Messi. Like, is this Lionel Messi's tournament – like, do we see him overcome this, like, Croatia side, which seemingly just finds a way – like, is it just going to be Leo? Is is just too good, or there's too much destiny attached to him to to stop this Argentina train from rolling?
1: I mean, you hear it said; um, it's a it's a cliche, you know. So and so is playing like a man possessed. Lionel Messi is playing like he's literally possessed. I've never seen him so angry before. <laughs> like, I. You know, I I heard it on, I think it was on the Guardian podcast today that I think it was one of the Argentinian journalists said, you know, people are speculating, is, has he been possessed by Maradona with like the anger and stuff, mm-hmm. which like even in mess in, in anger, Messi's insult is still, you know, give me that Like, what are you looking at? Silly. Like, it's not <laughs> even like, you know, you could say a lot worse in Spanish, right? Yeah. Um, but you know it's like saying dummy right which hmm. but he was super pissed right and he yeah. the, the celebration in front of uh the the dutch bench like it just everything spilled out of argentina in that that uh, quarterfinal with with the dutch and i think that passion and that anger can certainly drive them onto a result here um as long as they are able to manage that, though, because like we said, I mean, we can talk really a lot about Argentina broadly now, is they are missing a lot of players through yellow card accumulation, most notably uh, Acuna, and mm. um, I think, who else, Gonz- uh, yeah, Gonzalo Montiel, Montiel. as well, um, so the, the back line will have to change significantly, it looks like Talia Fico and Molina will have to come in, and mm-hmm. um, I think those are... Not, I mean, they're good players, but, you know, when you have to change, like, that fundamental part of your, your lineup um, for such a crucial game, that can be a big ask. As well as Otamendi probably going to come in for, for Lisandro Martinez. So, um, yeah, I, I, think the, I think defensively Croatia will have the edge. I think midfield-wise Croatia will have the edge because if we're talking about a DePaul-Fernandez-McAllister midfield, I mean, Fernandez is having a, a fantastic tournament. But he doesn't have that experience that a Modric of Projevichakovich is too. DePaul, he can be very good as well. Um, but I you know, I think he'll have to work extremely hard. And then McAllister, like, he's he's been good. Um, but him as well just doesn't have that that same experience at this level, you know, sure. with all due respect to him. Um but yeah, when you have Messi, <laughs> I mean anything is possible. Um and it looks like on Hildimeria, El Fideo is gonna be Fit for this one. So I really like that because I think he and Messi combine very well. Um, and, um, if Julian Alvarez plays too, I think like the forward line is completely capable of scoring goals on what is arguably a hot goalkeeper in in Lavakovic. But when you've got Lavakovic versus Emmy Martinez, like surely we're going to see a shootout (laughs) (laughs) and we'll see the, extremely contrasting styles that these goalkeepers have that are both very effective nonetheless. Yeah. So um yeah, I think I think this might go to I think goals will be scored but I think it might still go to extra time and maybe a penalty shootout. Um Interesting. and I guess I need to put I guess I need to put my my prediction out there and I will go with Argentina going to continue to honor my bracket but uh yeah, it would not surprise me at all if if Messi's dream is crushed by by the Croatians here, so
0: it's crazy to say. I think yeah, I think um I I will go I will go for a 2-1 Argentina win after extra time.
1: Okay, so not go to penalties.
0: So basically, yeah, like essentially what Brazil did but they actually do see it out. I think like they they just find that extra 2% to be able to <laughs> yeah. put Croatia away. I think if it does go to penalties, everyone in Argentina will be like surely the message in Argentina these la- in the Argentina camp these last couple of days is just avoid penalty like we mm-hmm. have to beat them in 90 minutes like that's the goal it's like we're good enough to score goals against them we should score enough to win in 90 minutes
1: right well, and I think the currency of shithousery might not mean as much to a Croatia side that really don't give a fuck about anybody. <laughs> um, like, they don't look bothered no. or intimidated by anyone. Um, yeah. And it's because they've been here before, you yeah. know, for a country as small as they are. They've been to a final, you know, and um, there's a lot of grizzled veterans in this side, and I think that that could really uh, help, but... I don't know. I just think when you've got Messi like you've got a chance for sure. Please.
0: There are two things from that quarterfinal against the Netherlands that I do want to touch on briefly, which is first that that pass from Lionel Messi. I it, we'd be remiss not to mention it. It is it the best assist in a World Cup ever?
1: <laughs> I I I was watching it on my lunch break in my office. And, you know, whatever. No one cares that I was watching it at my lunch. But there were people around. And I just... When he did that, I went... (gasps) Like, really loud. And people were like, are you okay? Like, what? What? I was just like, Messi's insane. He's an animal. He's an alien. Like, (laughs) people were like, oh, okay. Whatever. She's watching the game. I... Like, and the thing is, like, this is... This is Messi on a tuesday you know what i mean like this is him (laughs) but like it was still so outrageous because he doesn't even look he he doesn't use vision the way other humans do you know like it's so it's so instinctive for him and that is the and and credit to was it was it molina molina yeah, the f- freaking right, <laughs> Defender <that. Yeah. laughs> popping up in that area, and the touch is sublime. Oh, like, yeah. That's not straightforward. No. You know, the touch and then the finish, Um, you know, you can lose your composure. A worse player loses their composure. Uh, Some of the best strikers in the world can't finish some of Messi's best passes, um, Mm -hmm. as we've seen over the years. You can look up those infuriating compilations on YouTube if you're into that sort of thing. (laughs) But, I mean, yeah, it's one of the best passes I've ever seen, ever. And, Yeah. yeah, I would think it probably is one of the best assists in a World Cup. And just he's just ridiculous and... For that reason, like, I would not be upset at all if he wins at all because yeah. it's just something that his career, like, just to put that bow on it would be fantastic.
0: The It's like he sees through time because <laughs> not only does the gap – people are like, oh, like, it's insane that he saw that gap from field level and it's insane that, like, how does he, like, know yeah. gap. The thing is is that when he passes the ball, the gap that he sees doesn't exist. Like it will exist mm-hmm. when he passes that ball. It's not, it doesn't currently exist. It will exist in the future. That's the crazy thing about that pass is he's anticipating like what other people are doing, like what five other people are going to do when he plays that ball and places it exactly where it should be in that point in time <laughs> in right. the future when the gap opens. And that's, that is the insane thing. Cause it like, it, it's i don't know it when you watch it it just makes less and less sense like how he possibly <laughs> saw that um right and then so the other the other point from the the Netherlands quarterfinal against argentina is that the netherlands to your point about croatia being a little more unflappable the netherlands tried to they got into a shit house match with like the kings of shithousery and they, and they lost. And mm-hmm. obviously there was some fallout and people were, people were very vocal about their opinions of, they were like, pearl
1: clutching. Yeah. Lots pearl of pearl clutching.
0: clutching, but the Netherlands did that deliberately. Like they got into that knowing what they were getting themselves into. And, and I think, you know, regretting that ultimately. <laughs> um, but Croatia doesn't seem like they're going to take that sort of tack with, uh, with argentina
1: i don't think so i think they're just going to do what they've been doing this whole tournament um and and why why wouldn't you it's gotten you this far so yeah I, I expect this to actually be like i said i think goals will be scored but i think it'll be tight enough to to warrant extra time um but yeah so we both picked argentina then is that right yeah i,
0: I stand true to the bracket that's uh all right yeah you guys can my rush this time in, tomorrow, so... My other team in the final was shot into space uh, in the group <laughs> stage, so...
1: Same, same.
0: <laughs> um, so, uh, the other semifinal, France-Morocco. Um, and uh, Morocco was the first team through to the semifinals, I guess. Or, of, the, of these two, they, you know, played earlier in the day, Um. And by virtue of taking down Portugal, Morocco became the first African team to make to reach a World Cup semifinal um, in the history of the competition, um, and uh, in route have beaten Spain and Portugal um, to get here. So, by no means a a cheap or easy route uh, to the semifinals for Morocco. Not that not that such a thing exists. Um, but I guess heading into this matchup against France, one of the, you know, the holders, one of the the favorites entering the tournament, um, Morocco, clearly seen as big underdogs, but I mean, by virtue of the nature of their wins against Spain and Portugal, like you said, any of these teams could win it, and Morocco, given how composed, they've been against some giants of of UEFA um they have a shot against France
1: yeah morocco have been absolutely incredible and i think this this tie france morocco is going to be a movie like <laughs> it's steeped in so much history but at the same time like tournament wise it's extremely novel because of course morocco are You know, the first African side to make it this far ever, I think, in the tournament. Um, And so don't, you know, don't quote me on that, but I think that's right. Um, But yeah, like the the history between these two nations, the fact that so many, um, you know, there's so many Moroccans in France, Mm -hmm. in the diaspora, um, who have celebrated all, all throughout this tournament of them making this far. Um, and then, you know, speaking of the fans, like, I think this is going to be a Morocco home match for all intents and purposes. And I think that really does make a big difference, um, when, when your people are there. Um, and, um, yeah, I, (laughs) this one's going to be incredible. Um, just two really good sides, two differing approaches to the game for sure, two different, uh, Experiences as far as, as the tournament is concerned. Again, Morocco, very, you know, newcomers this far. France, the defending champions, um, and, and probably on paper, the favorites, I yeah. think, of whoever's left. But, um, with Morocco, I, I do think if they continue to play the way that they have, where it's like very active defending and, and capitalizing on, on, turnovers and and quick lightning quick transitions where France will leave space I think that they can get at this France side um I mean the thing about Morocco for me that makes me worry is just like the injuries have really really piled up and that that world-class defense is going to be you know completely rejigged because Roman Saiz um, he went off against Spain, I think, with a with a hamstring injury, he had to be stretchered off. Noussair MESSRAI from from Bayern is is a doubt as well. Did not play last time out, and then uh, Naif Aguerre, who's who's uh, signed for West Ham, uh, the last transfer window, he's also a doubt, and then Hakim ZIICH, I guess, picked up a knock. I mean, I bet he will probably um, try to to play through that or try to get fit as soon as possible. But yeah, when you have like some of the best defenders in the tournament, not available, I think that that is a, a big problem against Mbappe and friends. Um So I worry about Morocco in that regard. Um, you know, they have exerted a lot of energy in this tournament too, with their play style, whereas France are definitely um, comfortable not having the ball. They don't really press as much as you might expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so yeah for Morocco I worry about them in in that in that sense um, with France I mean we have a question about this so we can get onto it later but I think that they were like not lucky to beat England but like it wasn't straightforward no. I don't think um but as as he has been throughout this tournament Antoine Griezmann was absolutely the key to unlocking that game two assists just and unreal defensive work rate as well making tackles winning the ball back then driving forward and and sacrificing himself for the team yeah um but there are weak leagues to this france squad i mean dale hernandez brain dead challenge on harry kane for the one of the penalties uh diopa meccano looked really ropey mm-hmm. um he at first it seemed like he was trying to really like closely mark harry kane and then when he kept getting turned he's like all right i'm just going to step out as soon as he gets on the ball and charge up the midfield and that didn't really work either so um i was reading that he and aurelien Choumeni, uh had a sore throat this week but are expected to to play still so um uh, just something to think about there but yeah this france team are you know filled with elite players but they can be gotten at um and i think morocco know where to target um and you know, they might take some lessons from England and that like, yeah, you can still, you can nullify Mbappe for the most part, but that's not their only weapon, right? right? It's France is stacked. So um, I, I am uh, going to go with France, but uh, that's also an honoring the bracket type thing. But sure. if Morocco didn't have all these injuries, I might pick them.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, Morocco's injuries are going to play a big part in this. I think the, yeah, the, the sad truth is you know the quality at, you would assume beyond that top level for morocco they're not going to have the depth of a france like in what they can bring to bear um but we saw um Atietala, uh come in as the mm-hmm. left in as the left back replacement for Mizraoui and he was brilliant against Portugal yeah. and despite plying his trade in you know in the Moroccan domestic league he he was did not look phased by the occasion like and and uh did did sub in very well although I will say there was a moment uh at I think it was at nil nil still where they had a good break and it's a lot like shot mm. from a position where he absolutely should have squared it um it's like or floated it to the back post. It's like, when you've got, you know, Sophie and Bufal and Hakim Ziyech, like, you pass. <laughs> like, right. I don't, you know, I, I don't want to hate on a guy for taking a shot in a World Cup. Like, you only get so many. Um, but, yeah, when you've got those guys ahead of you, you you pass the ball. Um, but, with that being said, the defensive injuries are are a worry. Um, but... In terms of France-Morocco as a matchup, I don't want to go out too far on a limb and say, like, we know ball. But I know a big part of our discussion about England-France was <laughs> about the midfield. Like, I talked about we're going to learn about Chuameni and, uh, and Rabio as a pair. And if Antoine Griezmann can, like, is going to be a weak linker if he's going to be involved. And Griezmann was unbelievable. Like yeah and a huge reason why the likes of Jude Bellingham and um Jordan Henderson like had trouble exerting more control over the match like was because Griezmann was absolutely everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah committing
1: a lot of fouls to be fair and it took him a while to get carded, which I yeah. think is is the the uh shall we say the benefit of having that baby face but yeah he was he was everywhere I
0: feel like this World Cup too there's a couple of things that have gone a little under punished Mm. if I say by the referees and I think I think it's deliberate like I think they've done this because it's too much of a theme for it to be just you know on accident Mm. is they are the threshold for carding tactical fouls is way higher than typical in like a league game where Mm -hmm. if you commit a tactical foul it's a yellow card like like automatic yeah this world cup that has not been the case (laughs) like they are allowing people to get away with tactical fouls without being booked um which i think is like a competition leveling Mm. thing to an extent
1: that's interesting, yeah.
0: Um, but I also think they are trying desperately to avoid red cards, like, at this World Cup. And I was actually shocked to see Chadiris sh- sent off, in like, for Morocco, because they've been so lenient with second yellows. Um, yeah, well,
1: yeah, I didn't even mention him, because he's, he's a weapon oh. for, for Morocco that they won't have at their disposal. I mean, the man cannot finish to he, save his life. He should but have he's scored he's an absolute <laughs> threat. He's a threat late on in games coming on yeah. on the counterattack, and that's sometimes all you need is to just stretch the play a little bit more and, yeah. and kill some clock. So, yeah, that's another one that he'll be suspended, and that's another loss for Morocco. So, But Alleya.
0: what I will say about Morocco, and there's really just two players that I want to talk about. The one you guys already know because I spent all last episode talking about him, Sofiane Amrab- Amrabat, was absolutely – insane against portugal Mm. um and his there's a move i think it's in the build-up to to chadira's late chance where amrabat like gains possession deep in moroccan territory and like rather than just boot it because they're defending a one-nil lead against fucking portugal you know he (laughs) dribbles it out and goes past like three players before playing a pass like into feet and they they're like sprung on a counter attack, uh, unbelievable. But the player who actually impressed me the most against Portugal and the player who I think is going to be, it's almost bad that he was so key against Portugal, uh, because I think it means France are going to have a plan for him. Is Unahi who won't be Mm. he won't be a stranger to to french fans because he he plays for angers um but he was the outlet on counters so frequently because he plays on the same side as Hakimi, like he plays on the right side of midfield and every time he received the ball he was able to break or beat that like first press that first presser who who came at him like he beat him with a touch, he beat him with a pass. He he was always able to find a way through. Um and he was so vital to the fact that Morocco, every time that they got possession of the ball, which again, they you know, they don't have it that frequently, but they fashioned it's like they were fashioning fashioning shooting chances out of like half of the times they possessed the ball, which is I think they exited the first half with more shots, with more total shots than Portugal. Yeah, despite having like twenty six percent of the ball or something like that. So Unahi being able to receive the ball, defeat, break that press either with a dribble or with a pass, um, and his link up specifically that right flank of Morocco was so important with Hakimi, Unahi, and Ziyech all able to link up and play um so I think that's where that's where they're going to try to focus again France is probably going to try to have a plan for it and it's mainly going to be Rabio probably just flying into <laughs> everything um but I do worry a little bit at fullback because Hernandez was he's a bit of a liability at times um and Hakimi and Ziyech attacking his flank is it's not the most stable um, defensively for France. So there's there's vulnerabilities for sure. Morocco absolutely at a disadvantage with given the injuries. Um, I I think if even if Saïs was available they may be more likely to go through. For the difference, and for just the the history and the like chaos of Morocco going to a final, I will say that Morocco get a they, they there's no way they keep a clean sheet against France, right? Like,
1: I mean, like it wasn't straightforward against England. They had to have that long range strike from Choumani, and true. then Giroud was invisible before finally scoring. True, so, uh, I mean.
0: I, well, if know. Morocco are gonna win, it's likely gonna have to be one nil. Like that's <laughs> like <laughs> that's really. I don't know that they like if France score, it, you know, maybe it takes penalties. So maybe maybe that's what we'll go with one one, uh, and Morocco goes to the final on penalties.
1: <laughs> you know what I will say too about France that I think could be, eh, well, a disadvantage for them um, is. Ugo Loris, he's not done anything wrong this tournament per se, but I just always feel like he has a mistake in him. And so yeah. maybe now's the time. <laughs> Whereas Yassin Bruno on the other side has been absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, and and so I don't know. If they can put more shots on on Loris and make him work, uh again, you know, and, and get at that at Hernandez Uba Mecano. Uh, Rabiot like triangle of death on the left side of France's <laughs> mm-hmm. setup, then then maybe they can, and and Mbappe's not gonna defend so no um that's certainly the place to target I think um yeah. and, and England had the right idea doing that um you know they just couldn't really finish yeah. so
0: so maybe but, it's not actually <laughs> I mean in terms of in terms of matchups for France that right flank for Morocco is is definitely not who you'd love to run into.
1: I mean, Ziyech and, and Hakimi, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> like that's I, not...
1: I, I wonder how much of a battle Hakimi versus Mbappe will actually end up being, because those two are good friends, you know, yeah. teammates at PSG. <laughs> that's an interesting one, for sure. So yeah. this, the, like I said, this one's going to be a movie, like, period. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's going to be so good. I can't wait.
0: Yeah. The scenes... The scenes in Paris. If either torn, if either team scores, and, will like be- the
1: P- Paris will burn regardless. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> Paris government's probably like, fuck. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. No, it'll be. Uh, I'm. I'm very much looking for. Of the two semifinals, it is like obviously there's no such thing as a, you know they're all must watch it's a fucking world cup semi-final but <laughs> like of the two france morocco just has such potential to be to be madness um and imagine uh, a
1: croatia morocco final like
0: <laughs> morocco TV would
1: be like actually we're not broadcasting this we're mad like <laughs> <laughs> i no, but
0: i just i think like vibes so I know i do i am partial to this morocco team i've really enjoyed it um their their run but Mm. if the favorites are to go through argentina france i was doing some research for one of the questions that we got tonight um and we'll we'll talk about this in a bit but Mm. i came across in the 2006 world cup spain and uh oh my god spain and italy played in the group stage and Spain got beat while Italy was en route to their final win you know their their win in 2006 and Spain got beat pretty comfortably it was like 3-1 but it was all of the guys like learning for that 2010 final um it was you know people taking it on the chin and then, and then mm-hmm. coming back and being like the best team in world football for the next for the next four years, like bar none, um, mm. twenty. I guess it's a little bit, maybe a false thing because it's. I think it was no twenty eighteen, Argentina mm. France crazy. Uh, round of round of sixteen yeah. game right four three Boppy or whatever. masterclass yeah yeah in route to France's win. Um, so could we see the final of? like an argentina victory uh following that you know bowing out to france at the last world cup um
1: so the kings did they go on
0: did they go on to to be the winners yeah so a little bit of an interesting not the exact parallel because spain and italy didn't meet in the final or anything like that but
1: no um, i see what you're saying though like a, a, a juggernaut setting up a future juggernaut maybe yeah i like that that's interesting so, but then, but then Croatia's still in the mix, so it's like, I don't know, like is that, right, is <laughs> or this, there could be a, a third rematch. Turn, yeah, could it be yeah, a rematch?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, could Croatia... so I'm
1: going France. You're going Morocco. Is that what I'm going to go
0: Morocco? Yeah, just fair, for fair. I think, in terms of, I will say, in terms of support, an Argentina Morocco final would be fucking crazy cuz Oh my god. The stadium that'd would be, be a, half and a, half like
1: That'd be an international like clasico. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be sick.
0: Um but no, either either way that these games go, I'm sure that they'll be they'll be thrilling. I'm just hoping a lot of these games at this World Cup have lived up to the hype. Um and just hoping for more of that. Um there haven't been, you know, the Uh, since the round of 16 like there haven't really been blowouts Mm.
1: um
0: so it's been it's been nice um and hopefully we get some nice tense matches and some some classic moments to to talk about but um we uh we got we got a a handful of listener questions and i i do want to get to those Mika. so we've got um first coming from our friend Eric Bauer at eBow27 on Twitter. He asked around referee appointments uh, for the semifinals. He said, how was the ref who officiated the England-France game not among those sent home? He was terrible. Mika, can you give us some uh, <laughs> some, some thoughts on, I guess, why Wilton Sempio, um stuck around? And, I mean, maybe some thoughts on the referees who are still at the World Cup.
1: I have no idea why he stuck around. I thought he had an absolutely shocking performance. I I mean, again, like when you make me feel bad for England, like something is wrong. Uh, <laughs> I thought England were really harshly officiated. Um, but at the same time, I feel a little bit like justified and vindicated because at least the world got to see what Arsenal fans see week in, week out with Bukayo Saka, which is like, he doesn't get any calls yeah. and you can say, I mean, he didn't get a few obviously, but like for the most part, like every foul on him does not get called and you can say it's about play style and, and what have you, but still like a foul is a foul. And like, I just don't understand how his reputation is like permeated to other referees of other like confederations. <laughs> Cause some is obviously I think from South America. So um, yeah, I thought he had a rough night. I don't know how he's still here, but, um, the likes of Michael Oliver and Mateo Hoth are, are, done. Not that they're, you know, much better, but yeah, it was not a good, it was not a good officiating performance. And again, like, I think just to comment briefly on the England France game, like I really do think that England played well. Yeah. I, I think they made France look pretty average by their standards. Um, but France were just clinical. Um, and, and, you know, you can't legislate for Harry Kane skying that penalty and no, yeah. Sending it into orbit over Qatar, airspace space. So I I just, I don't know. Um, (laughs) I, I, and I had said on our last pod, like if England are brave, they can win this and they were brave. Yeah. I thought that they did everything for the most part, correct. Like the way that they approached the game. Some of the passes that they were making out of the back and just going up the gut. I thought John Stones was really good about that. Harry Maguire had a decent game. Yeah, Bukayo Saka was the best player on the pitch, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and then France just had to to be brilliant to to get through it. And so, yeah, um, tough tough break for England, but uh, th- yeah. they have a lot of good players. I'm sure they'll be back.
0: Yeah, and I mean Gareth Southgate ultimately paying the price for not having Trent Alexander-Arnold on as uh <laughs> no nah, uh, yeah
1: no I <laughs> who mean, knows what happens and over the free, free kick. kick yeah
0: Rashford all credit to Rashford and this is the only time you'll hear me you know give credit to a united player but Rashford <laughs> Rashford hit that about as well as you could mm. and it's just there's there is i'm convinced and maybe this is just an uninformed opinion but i i believe there is a percentage of a of a free kick that is luck like you can hit it with the exact right shape and the exact right like everything about that free kick was was correct mm-hmm. like rashford mm-hmm. did everything right it just didn't go in like that's the, <laughs> it just right it was the correct shape it froze loris like every everything was was right about that free kick and uh and yeah i mean ultimately it's closer than harry kane's penalty so um so i, I don't think you can take much away from from that <laughs> um but as far as the as far as the refereeing assignments i i for one was was a little disappointed um because i really wanted to be able to to tweet my Laho's gonna love this again. <laughs>
1: that was a brilliant joke. Uh, amazing.
0: It doesn't play well on Twitter because no, because unless you hear it in your head, like nobody right. knows what you're talking about. Like, why does it say Lahoe's gonna love the like Ho's gonna love this? But, um, but yeah, Lahoe's gonna love this. Um, the uh, <laughs> But, yeah, Wilton Cepaio is sticking around. I mean, it, it is kind of – I'll take it a little bit with a grain of salt given the fact that, like, there are a bunch of referees still in the mix for the final, Um yeah. one of which is Anthony Taylor. Michael Oliver is gone. Anthony Taylor is still at the World Cup. So, of the two English referees – um the one that I figured would still be there is gone, and the one that I think is objectively bad um, is is has a shot at the final.
1: Right, which is just... I mean, I think the quality ref- of officiating in general has been poor, but what are you going to do? Okay, I... We have another question from Jake here, and I just screwed up the outline. But anyway, I thought that we would stick with like the World Cup broadly. And Jake sure. asks, at Jake Kinecki on Twitter says, what is your favorite performance by a player in World Cup history? Mine is Ronaldo in 2002. It's what made me love the sport.
0: I mean, that's such a good shout. It is... The 2002 World Cup was right before... I started to care. Like, it's, like, Hmm. three years... It was, like, three years too soon. So, 2006 is the one that... The first one, like, I watched. Um, Gotcha. Okay. And I think one of the performances that's come to mind is Andrea Pirlo in 2006.
1: Who? Because...
0: He's involved in everything. Like for being a midfielder that is typically known as, you know, just a, a, a lovely passer, keeps things ticking over. He's the, you know, the straw that stirs the drink, like that whole sort of thing. <laughs> he's like directly, like that World Cup, he's directly assisting goals. He's like, he was like very involved in what was going on in that run. And I think he actually ends up winning the a player of the tournament award at the end of it, um, which like kind of credit to FIFA for giving it to a midfielder, you know, like in, yeah. in all of that, like uh, giving it to someone who's maybe not at the forefront of the action, given the fact that the game had been so dominated by Ronaldo and like just attackers in general. Um, but I feel like that, Italian, you know, that Italy team was very, it was so much like about the class and like, it wasn't, there wasn't one like crazy goal scorer. There wasn't one guy who like really scored everything. And I mean, you think about, and it breaks my heart as a Germany fan, but Pirlo's pass that sets up Fabio Grosso in the semifinal, like the, 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 what turns into the winning goal but basically the breakthrough um after a long just like stalemate in that game the grosso goal um like he sees this little reverse pass and and grosso ends up i mean scoring a really nice goal with the left foot but um but yeah the Pirlo was just on another level uh (laughs) like in that in that tournament and um so that's that's one that that kind of sticks out for me especially in the same vein as as Jake's cuz it was very early on in my in my footballing education.
1: <laughs> no, that's a good one. I I don't have a good enough memory to call out like one world class performance. I'm sure if I like watched highlights back, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I remember that, blah, blah, blah. But the one that came to my mind, and I feel like I should just be true to what came to mind first, yeah, is um Robin Van Persie versus Spain in Brazil, 2014. Sure. The Flying Dutchman header yeah. that <laughs> ultimately resulted in the Netherlands dismantling the then-defending champions. I think it ended up being like 5-1 or something like that. Yeah. Um, that is the best header to date that I've ever seen. I mean, he goes horizontal <laughs> with the ground, and it's oh, yeah. just an amazing, amazing piece of brilliance and genius. Um, And it, it genuinely made me leap out of my seat, and I'm not a Dutch fan. Like, it was just a great... <laughs> a great great goal um in you know a moment when the dutch really needed something brilliant and they were able to to march on from there and i think if i'm not mistaken it's daily blend crossing that ball in (laughs) to robin van persie like who knew eight years later this guy would be doing the same thing to the
0: the u.s
1: uh, and dumping us out with another really, really good cross. Oh, God. Um, you know, another good pass. So, yeah, I, I love that goal. I loved Van Persie's performance in the game. Um, and yeah, just a classic, classic goal for me. Um, and so maybe that's more a moment than a performance, but I just, I think about that goal often.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, that's, uh, that's a couple of good shouts. I mean, um, other other things that come to mind is uh Muller kind of bursting on the scene in 2010 like Mm. like who's this kid they brought to the world cup and then he scores like five goals in that tournament for Germany um and uh and then I mean in terms of moments probably the Goethe goal to like against Argentina is is one of those like Extra time winner in a World Cup final, like, yeah. unbelievable.
1: I love Clint Dempsey's goal, like, two seconds into the game against Ghana. Like, yeah. that just... Or the uh, the rocket by John Brooks.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Those goals were... Wow. Yeah. It was, it's like the, another lifetime.
0: Yeah. That 2014 tournament was fun, despite the, the round of 16 exit. But when baby De Bruyne beat us Mm. um
1: (laughs) that yeah actually that usa ghana game was freaking classic brazil brazil 2014 was lit like
0: it was another
1: performance i guess is memo Ochoa versus brazil like yeah the man just absolutely lights out that was crazy to the point where the Brazilians were clapping him. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, that was a great World Cup.
0: Yeah. No, it's a uh... Yeah, that that did give some absolute classic moments. And I mean just in terms of the atmospheres and all that stuff like it was just mm-hmm. Brazil yeah. hosting was was next level. Yeah. Well, Speaking of obviously we talked a lot about the US men's national team and the coaching situation at at the front of the show. So um we got a question about that manager position and if there is a change at manager. Um so at Boomer 4568, uh Joel Jackson on Twitter asks which MLS coach current or former will get the men's national team job if there is a coaching change. And his asterisk is I assume an MLS coach because the federation lacks imagination and ambition in my honest opinion. Um, so Mika, I know we, we don't cover a ton of MLS, but like the reality is that the most likely replacement for Greg Burhalter would come out of the U.S.'s domestic league so do you have anyone that that sticks out in terms of potential candidates to lead the men's national team if Burr Halter is not the guy
1: yeah you know it's funny because like I without wanting to sound like xenophobic or anything I do think there is merit in having an American coach or having a coach from your nation coach your nation because I think that there's just this like you would think inherent level of investment from that individual, um, and so I I don't actually mind that if we want to really hire an American, um, and you know I think that's that's a good thing. But yeah, for MLS, like I guess the one that really jumps out to me is probably like Steve Chirundolo, maybe just, and that's totally based on like recent success. I mean sure. He did win the double as a manager with LAFC, the Supporters' Shield, and the uh, MLS Cup. I believe that's right. Um, He broke a record. He had the most wins in a first-year season for an MLS head coach with 21. Um, And, you know, he has played abroad, most notably with Hanover 96, played for the United States, of course. Um, And, yeah, he also coached uh, Las Vegas Lights um and you know while it wasn't gr- a great record there i mean it's certainly a, a good place it seems for american coaches to to get their feet wet um in the managing game and so he seems like the most like obvious one with recent success yeah um and yeah he's just 43 uh so yeah we'll see he's he's worked in you know, all throughout the ranks of Hanover 96 also with, um, Valve stuttgart, I think he was an assistant for the U S at one point and as well as the, in the Germany youth setup. So yeah, I mean, he's got the experience as well in that, in that sense. So, um, probably him, I guess another shout is like Josh Wolf, although I think he's, I mean, no pun intended, but he's a little green still. Sure. <laughs> um, with, with Austin FC. Um, but he does look promising. Um, so yeah, those are the ones that I think of. I don't. I don't know if I'm missing anyone more obvious, but
0: no, nah, I think you're hitting the hitting the because the other the other thing that is maybe not as talked about where they're like they want an American coach. Like I think that much is is pretty clear. I think they also prefer to have American coaches that were capped for the men's national team. Like mm. Burrhalter played at the, at the national team. Bob Bradley. I don't know if he actually... Did Bob Bradley? No. He was just, like, a manager, I think.
1: Did Bob Bradley play? We should know this. No, <laughs> he just
0: played in college, I think. Um, But... So, yes, I think they correct. liked the idea of, of having guys, like, who were capped. Um, mm. And now that that is... It makes up a decent chunk of MLS managers now, <laughs> where between Pablo Mastrani. Turundelo, Greg Vanny, Josh Wolf, like they've all been capped at international level for the US. Um, and so I think there's something there where even a guy like Jim Curtin from Philadelphia,
1: yeah, Philadelphia who, who yeah. could
0: be like in with a shout, he never like he had a a career in MLS, but that was like the extent um, so does that put him behind like a name like Trondolo or like um Josh Wolf, like those sorts of names? Uh Greg Vanny is the one that like in terms of um tenure feels like maybe in the right spot, but it's like, has he been successful enough? And now that LA Galaxy are like the second best team in LA, like is that actually good? <laughs> you know, the like,
1: also can the can the fan base stomach another Greg? I'm not sure.
0: <laughs> right, like two Gregs in a row. Yeah. So, I mean, if I had, if I had, whatever, you know, of the MLS managers, the one that I would love to see get a shot would be Gio Savarisi. but like, mm. I don't think he will. And he is Venezuelan like that is at the heart of it. He is, but he's been in the United States for 32 years. So like he's not, you know, like to say he's not American uh, would be disingenuous. Um, But he, I, I love the idea of a guy who has had, he's had success in the lower leagues in America, had success in MLS and like just in terms of variety of his experience and the amount of different type players that he's played with and and just like different things that he's that he's gone through he is one where I would really love to see him um of this crop of of MLS coaches like I would love to see him get a shot I do not think he will be the guy um but I think there's a a huge value, too, in having a native Spanish speaker, like, who is American also, you know, like, has been in the States for so long. I think there is a big aspect there of being able to recruit dual nationals, like, with Latin heritage as well. Like, I think that is important. And when you have those jump balls, as they say, like, where a guy, like could go either way could play for you know mexico or or the states like maybe that Mm -hmm. meeting could go better when a guy's got that you know connection in terms of of shared language and um so anyways that's kind of my thought i do think that they would probably go for um a former player before they go for a guy like Gio who is cap for Venezuela <laughs> 30 <laughs> times um yeah. but um but the other my other thought there is that Timbers also just locked Gio down to like a long-term extension in October of this year so at like at the end of the MLS season they signed a long-term extension with him so um there would be some kind of like negotiated I don't know how that works. Like, would they, <laughs> would MLS like have to give him up to the to the U.S. Soccer Federation? Like, <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean, that's that's the thing, right? Is like, how deep do those ties still go? Post some, I guess, but yeah,
0: yeah, um, but yeah, some interesting options, I'll say, some interesting options, um, but. What we all really want to see is Wayne Rooney.
1: <laughs> Based on his tenure at DC United, right? Yes. Okay. We have so we I think we have a couple more US Men's National Team questions at MixKidRemix Andrew Thompson on Twitter. He said if you had to predict the US starting 11 in 2026, what would you come up with and what possible shocks could be included? I think predicting a starting 11 is too hard. It <laughs> might I take us some time because we're so indecisive. But I think yeah. I really like that second part of that question is like what possible shocks could be included and like really expanding on that, who do we think could really break through and become a stalwart? I mean, four years is a long time. A lot of things can happen. But just based on what we know today, who do we think could really um, become part of the furniture of this U.S. US men's national team, do you think, Phil?
0: Well, I mean, I think it's really interesting when you think about the this group of players that is currently playing and we think of them as young by the time the next world cup runs or comes around like many of these players will be in or past their prime like (laughs) like in in many ways so um we have a, a crop of players that are right in that like 23, 24 age rate age range that you, you know, you know will be in and around the team for the next you know, Weston McKinney, he's gonna be one of the like, you know, grizzled veterans at twenty twenty six. Um That's wild. Really that whole midfield, like Adams, Musa and and McKinney are all gonna be kind of like in their prime. Um at the next World Cup, like that 26, 27, 28 range. Um, so in terms of players that we, I mean, gosh, Christian Pulisic will be, like, pushing 30 by the next World Cup.
1: Oh, my God, really?
0: Right? Like, how old is he? Is he, like, 26 or something like that? 24. 24? Okay, he'll be, so he'll like be 28. 20.
1: 28 right in his prime yeah yeah so
0: he'll be in his prime so there are a lot of players like there's not gonna be um a ton of like room i guess (laughs) like you know in that like established starting 11 for big big changes but i think there are a handful of guys coming up through the youth ranks right now who will likely be involved and i don't know if this i don't know if this counts as shocks but like a couple of the young players that I think will definitely be involved that um we've talked about either via like our coverage of the USL for our other podcast seriously loco or hmm. um or obviously just via um I, you know watching like US youth team rosters and those sorts of things. Uh the likes of Diego Luna, who like Hell have, yeah! <laughs> came up through the Barca Residency Academy and played his first professional um football at El Paso Locomotive. Uh so mine and Mika's like hometown hometown team or or uh our local, as yeah. it were. Um Jonathan Gomez, who came up through Louisville City's Academy, um and is now playing at Real Sociedad. Um and uh paxton aronson so the brother the brother of brendan who just got his move abroad um from uh, from union to eintracht frankfurt um Mm. in january so just a handful handful of names i think we've also got um the other ones that were kind of right on the edge of the senior team i think like Cade cowell comes to mind um in terms of guys who are coming up from mls um caden clark is another one and now diego luna being in you know in rail salt lake he'll obviously be seen as more of like an mls talent but um the interesting thing is is that there is a u20 world cup um in may and june of 2023 um and then in olympics in 2024 both of which will give us like a good idea of who we see as serious as a as a nation i guess like of the youth ranks and who's gonna who's gonna like make that next step into the into the national team but i think the weird thing about 2026 is you will see a lot of familiar faces from from this World Cup. And really, there's only a few positions where we're going to be looking for new folks um, that haven't already been like in and around the team. And I think center back is probably the one area where, as I'm as I'm going through all these names, it's like Jonathan Gomez is the only defender like in this whole list. So, a lot of attackers, maybe a little top heavy, and maybe maybe that's where we're looking for more uh, more people to distinguish themselves in those uh, defensive areas.
1: Yeah, no, I mean uh, Diego Luna. I I'm biased, and obviously you explained why that is, but I think. I think he could definitely offer something for the men's national team. He's different um, and really just tricky and not not typical of what we produce, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually was reading about Luna somewhere. I forget where it was, but I remember reading a comment that I just thought was so funny because he was like, um, this person was like, this guy could be our Hulk, like our whole team, like from Brazil, <laughs> which, like, not nearly the same player, but like, just I think he was basing that on body type. But I was like, <laughs> I love that. Um, so, yeah, Diego Luna is one. Um, we have a lot of defenders coming through that I think might even warrant a change in play style because mm-hmm. you would want to fit in the likes of Richards and McKenzie um carter vickers who did get called for this one but you know played that one game was outstanding yeah um and one <laughs> that i i want to call out and i'm biased because he is on the books at arsenal but austin trustee has been on loan yeah. at Birmingham city and is playing a lot playing meaningful minutes he's already played 22 matches um He scored three goals in the championship. You know, he's playing against grizzled, grown-ass men. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, quite a step up from MLS, and I think his move was kind of, like, side-eyed and uh, ignored a little bit by by Arsenal fans because he kind of came over at the same time as Matt Turner, and people thought, like, oh, he's coming from Colorado. Like... You know, Cronky's cash is going from one pocket to the other, type thing, and <laughs> like he's acquitting himself well in the championship. In a really hard league to play in for a a team that a Birmingham City team that have very demanding fans, a, a club that have been a little bit down on their luck. I would say, Um, you know, over there at St Andrews, watching Aston Villa like go on to the back to the Premier League and spend all this money, but. He's doing really well um, for Birmingham City by all accounts, and I think he could be a really interesting player for us. Um, 6'3", 24 years old. Um, I don't think he's made a U.S. appearance yet for the senior team. Let me look that up so I don't look like an idiot. But, (laughs) um, yeah, no, he's only played for the U19s through to the U23 side. So, yeah, I mean, I think it could be really... A really interesting um, prospect for us I suppose
0: the uh, and in terms of players that have been around the team like I'm also thinking about the fact that like the goalkeeper situation is going to be fascinating to watch over the Mm. next few years because it's like does Matt Turner just become like the next Tim Howard where he's just he's the number one for you know a decade like mm-hmm. and that's just who who plays at at keeper as long as he's available um or do we see the re you know zach stefan his he essentially like i guess the narrative around zach Steffen's exclusion from the Qatar squad was we want matt turner to know that his like place isn't actually under threat um <laughs> and so we're gonna not bring the guy that he was like in competition with um so there's that i mean zach stefan could you know he's still on the books at manchester city like there's all kind of, he's playing at middlesbrough i think on loan this year um so all kinds of options there plus the likes of and a ton of hype generated around gabriel slanina mm-hmm. um from Chicago fire and like his decision to like play in the U S yeah uh system and and there was a lot of hype there and obviously he's now he's now gone on um or well yeah he's at Chelsea well he was signed by Chelsea and is like back on loan I guess at the fire or was um for this last season but yeah that's another one that i think people and he's only 18 um so he'll even still be young for a goalkeeper by the time the next world cup rolls around um so yeah a lot of a lot of weird interesting battles where it's like there's a lot of things that we assume right now that could easily not be true in four years
1: right yeah a lot a lot a lot a lot can happen um but we'll see i mean there's there's certainly i mean i i didn't even say another player that i really like gianluca busio like i still have faith in him that yeah. he will come good um and he's toiling right now with Venezia and Serie B. and um yeah i think he's a good player so we'll see
0: yeah there's there's plenty uh <laughs> plenty plenty of talent and it is cool like for many reasons to be able to to be able to look at
1: it's a fun thought experiment because in the past like we didn't even have this many options to like think about. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's cool. Yeah.
0: Um there's uh there's a handful <laughs> there's a handful of these as I as I look through random like articles and things. Um there are there are a bunch of these players where it's like assuming they choose the u.s because it is mm. a lot of dual internationals or in some cases like players who have three options oh, um Jesus. so like falarin Baligan is like a really great example of a player who could make a difference for the u.s and also could he's represented like he's represented england the u.s like and the u.s at youth level and he's also eligible to represent Nigeria. Um so there is yeah, lots of options on the table for for some of these guys where it's it's not a given that they're gonna be representing the, the US at
1: Another player on loan from Arsenal playing really well at his loan club with uh Reim. so yeah. scoring goals. I think he I was listening to arscast the other day and i think they said he scored 60 percent of their roles like they're not a team that makes a lot of chances so he's taking what he does get but yeah
0: wow well the final question and and i guess by way of wrapping up um at slim simba on twitter asks who do you think is getting the first transfer among this usm men's national team squad so of the players at this World Cup, who do you think is getting that, like, made the case for that big move, um, either in January or, I guess, next summer?
1: Yeah, um, I think I think the most likely is probably going to be um, Yunus Musa from Valencia, just because of the fact that Valencia are a club that need to balance the books, and I think they'll have yeah. seen what he did at the World Cup. As a real boost to his stonks, I think his stonks (laughs) have gone through the roof. Um, And I think David Ornstein was reporting today that he could go for something like twenty million euro, which is madness for a yeah. Yeah, I mean he's he's so good. And actually, again, like I'm being real biased here, but I do think Arsenal would do really well to convince him to come back because he's definitely a player that that can. I think his his game could be adapted to the Premier League. He's so press resistant and so intelligent. Yeah. Um, perhaps has more to do as far as growing physically, but he he does look like the player that that someone may want to take a punt on. I mean, Tyler Adams, I think, had a good tournament, but he just got to Leeds. Yeah. Um, Pulisic, even like I don't know. It's it's not really clear what's going on at Chelsea for him and what his. His prospects look like under under Graham Potter to be fair it's not been that long for him and Potter to kind of develop a relationship that we can see necessarily so yeah but Musa really sticks out to me because I think midfield was the highlight of of uh our performances and he's certainly the one that looks most likely and perhaps the easiest if you will to move right now
0: yeah no I think I think that that's a good shout because it's a combo of ownership and he's been at Valencia for a little bit now. Um, cause yeah, I think you're definitely on the, you're definitely right in terms of like the midfielders are the ones whose stock grew the most, um, for the U S because obviously I think goal scorers, not as much when you only score three goals. Um, and, uh, and the, the defenders, little bit on the older side um, so maybe not as much room to grow um, at least in central defense but I think Anthony Robinson not that he'll be looking to move because he's been playing well at Fulham and Fulham's been you know solid this season Like, yeah. I don't, so I don't think he'll be looking to move or anything like that but it is a difficult position to recruit for and I think there will probably be a few people who turn their heads and are like Oh, okay. Like I see I see what what he's been doing out there. So um but yeah, I agree that Moose is the most likely to move. And second most is McKenny, but that's only because uh we have no idea what's about to go down at Juve. Um <laughs> they may they may have to sell McKenny out of like actual legal necessity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean that's another player that I think would do really well in the Premier League. Yeah. So
0: yeah, I think of Musa like watching Musa at this World Cup. Um, it really reminded me in many ways of of the job, and maybe some will chuckle now because of what happened in the the years after he left Liverpool. But Genie Wijnaldum um, in Klopp's Great midfield shout. because he does a lot of dirty work, and he is like the press resistance is the biggest thing where he makes a lot of things happen because he's not losing the ball and he's, he's not going to be the one that's playing like the crazy flashy pass or, um, or anything like that, but he's always winning back possession and he's never losing possession, which is, that's like the two biggest things for, for Musa in that midfield is he always wins the ball back and never loses it. And that's like exactly what you need in terms of like creating that transition from defense into attack and, um, and against England in particular, like Musa was absolutely everywhere and was That's such just a
1: great shout, constantly
0: yeah. winning it back. So I would, I personally like watching that. I was just like, man, I would love to see this again because you know Liverpool's midfield has cried out for a Genie Wijnaldum ever since he left. So um, and no one else has figured out how to use Genie Wijnaldum like since he left Klopp. So Musa um, is like the the young down version of. Of Genia, in in my opinion,
1: yeah, no, I always think of you of Musa as like a little Kovačić, but I think yeah, I think Vijnaldum is an even better shout. That's so, I, I guess poor Gigi him he's been out of the like thoughts and minds because he's been injured so long. Yeah, broke yeah. his leg
0: basically the second he got to Roma. So Ugh, yeah, um, no,
1: I love that shout
0: because I'm really. <laughs> It it's big sickos meme vibes, <laughs> but I actually was really excited to see Wynaldum play in a Mourinho midfield. Like that, that's <laughs> that is <Yeah>. pure <laughs> yes. Um, so
1: yeah, yeah. No, I mean fair enough, fair enough. Because <laughs> nice. I think if
0: there's a manager who can figure out how to how to get him like back, because yeah whatever it's of pochettino i'm still just i'm i'm embittered um that he couldn't figure <laughs> out how to use him. but um but yeah uh so so with all that being said tons to look forward to like it quite the episode on the on the u.s men's national team front because we talk about like just the talent that's like oozing out of this team but at the same time like it leads off with the drama first and foremost so
1: i know i think this is the most u.s men's national team heavy we've ever gone huh
0: oh yeah by far um (laughs) and it probably is as heavy as we'll likely go in most of these episodes like we don't really talk about the the men's national team all that often um but uh yeah yeah the way this world cup played out and the way that uh the way that things have played out in the background now we've it's been it's been unavoidable um but uh yeah with that with that being said i guess that does bring us to the end um like i said at the top of the show um we're hardcore football so you can find us on any major podcast platform and you can find us at hxc football on twitter and instagram Um, check us out there submit your questions thank you to those uh who did submit questions it just makes for makes for some fun discussions some uh some some interesting questions in here and uh so thanks for for giving us some stuff to riff on and um and chat about and uh yeah if you want to get your questions in instagram or twitter is fine um and uh yeah we're always looking to to interact with folks on there so um check us out and uh, if you're listening to the podcast on a platform that allows you to rate and review um, and you've you've been so moved, um, if you leave a rating or review, it does help us out and just helps more people hear the podcast and uh, hopefully join in uh, with the fun. But as uh, the World Cup semifinals play out, I'm sure we'll probably try to get one in before the final um, as well to to make sure that we uh to wrap to wrap the World Cup up in style, and then uh it'll be straight back into the domestic season. Believe it or not, Mika, we'll be... oh my God, <laughs> the football yeah. is officially going on forever. That's the <laughs> uh, but yeah, thanks for listening, everyone, and uh hope hope you enjoy uh your sneaky work viewing of the semifinals over the next couple of days and uh we'll talk to you uh before the final but until then uh have a good one
1: see ya